0: Hello, all right, as Andy said, we're married, that's who I am, Uh, and as he said, kind of my role in the young adult ministry here at Crossings has been really in Sunday school, Um, and so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight to open Ephesians with you. As I'm going to make clear soon, I love Ephesians, I love it. And so I'm really excited. Um, And I confess too that I kind of nudged Andy even into doing this series before I knew I was gonna get to help teach, because I just love it. And a little bit about me, as Andy said, we're married, we'll be married for 17 years this summer. Yeah, I know, I look so young. Um, I'm sure that's why you're cheering. And I spend my days primarily in the role as mom. We have five kids. If you've been here before, you've probably heard Andy tells stories on our kids. Um, And I also have a really cool job where I get to create artwork and write Bible studies for um, a Bible Bible journaling company. It's it's really awesome, I love it. Um, and, And just an introduction, this is something that I say every time I teach. And if you've heard me teach in Sunday school, then you've heard this before, but it's kind of my disclaimer because I'm a crier. I'm a crier. When something impacts me deeply, the way my body responds to that is through tears. And so, although I've prayed that the Lord would hold back any tears so that I can communicate his word clearly, he does not always do that when I ask him to. <laughs> and it's a, it's it's something in me and about me that I, I always viewed as a great weakness. I always felt a lot of shame about emotional displays. I was always very paranoid that people would think because I cried that that discounted everything that I said, that it somehow showed I was less than logical, but he continues to use it. What I saw a weakness, he has made, here it comes, a strength, he has made it a strength. And so like the apostle Paul, I will boast all the word gladly gladly about my tears that the power of Christ may rest on me, all right? Another disclaimer about the way I, this is about the way I teach. I'm different from Andy. (laughs) I'm different from Andy. The way I study the Bible is different from the way Andy studies the Bible. And so the way I communicate about the Bible is different too. And I was trying to think about a way to explain this And I thought, you know, it's a little bit like the differences in how we shop. (laughs) Because Andy in a store, he decides, I need a new shirt. So he goes to one of maybe three stores that have acceptable shirts. And then he goes to the shirt section of the acceptable shirt store, and he picks the best of all the shirts. Then he takes the shirt to the register, and he pays for the shirt, he buys the shirt, he takes it home. That's not how I shop. I approach shopping like a treasure hunt. I want to go to the piles in the back. I want to find the clearance racks. I want to find the gold, the treasure. So maybe I came because I needed a new shirt, but I might leave with a new pair of pants or a new pair of shoes, but they're the perfect pants. And they make all my shirts I already have look better. And I got them for half price. So I'm a treasure hunter when it comes to shopping and when it comes to scripture. So Andy, he just he gets what he came for, right? He's kind of in and out, and I want to discover every treasure I know is just waiting for me. And that's how we study, that's how we teach. Andy's more outline-driven than I am, okay? So we're not gonna have a whole lot of slides. I do like a good map, but there's no real applicable maps tonight. But he's gonna be a little more to the point immediately, a little bit more linear than me, I want to ask every question. I want to know every definition. All right, so he's 30,000 feet and I've got out my magnifying glass. He's taking the highway and I'm taking the scenic route. All right, so this used to drive us a little crazy about each other, to be honest, and probably more him than me because he's been teaching and preaching longer than I have. And so whenever he'd ask me for feedback, I'd be like, let me get out my commentary, (laughs) you know? Like, let me get out my my dictionary. Let's look up all the Greek words and let's do this. And he's like, I just kinda wanted you to tell me that sounds good or that doesn't sound good, right? (laughs) I wanna get granular, right? And he didn't, I didn't understand, why don't you love this? Like, why don't you wanna go on 37 rabbit trails in one verse? But here's the thing. Those are just preferences. Those are just proclivities, right? And they're both good and they're both valid and even more, they're better together, all right? I push him to dig a little deeper and he keeps me from drowning in the details. And it segues so well with what we're gonna talk about tonight in Ephesians chapter two because we're gonna see how God takes people who are very different and he puts them together to make a new kind of family. And instead of their difference being a hindrance or something to be erased, in fact, it's something to be celebrated, something that actually displays the power of the gospel in a way that is supernatural. Ephesians shows us and Paul teaches us that God's plan from the very beginning for humanity was unity, to bring us to him, to make us one with him and to make us one with one another. Like I said, I love Ephesians. I fell in love with Ephesians about four years ago. I don't know if something like this has ever happened to you, where everywhere you turn, you get the same message, and you're like, okay, God, I'm paying attention, right? So I go, my mom was leading a retreat in her church in Ardmore. And so I went to that, and it was on Ephesians. And then I signed up for a Bible study here at Crossings, completely unrelated. It was a study on the book of Ephesians, and the, so in Sunday school, when we were trying to decide what to do, I was like, Andy, I think it needs to be Ephesians. And so I taught through that four years ago, and it made such an impact on my life and my faith. Studying the book of Ephesians has deepened my understanding of the gospel. It reshaped my concept of identity in Christ, of who I am because of who he is and what he did. And it expanded my imagination concerning what it means to belong to God's family. Ephesians is unique because it 's so universal it 's different than a lot of paul 's other letters where he has personal remarks or he 's really speaking into an issue that's happening at this church at this moment with these people and so we as scholars we kind of have to kind of have to do some digging and figure out who is he talking to what's the context here what's going on but ephesians is is really much more universal you don't have anything where paul's like Hey, would you have him? that guy bring me my cloak and, you know, (laughs) asking for these personal concerns? There's none of that. It's very modern because it is so universal. And and, um, it's beautifully structured and composed. And as one scholar put it, it's like truth that sings. Ephesians is like doctrine set to music. And Andy titled this series Sit, Walk, Stand because of the structural position. Pro, uh, progression of this letter. All right, so the first three chapters, so we're right smack in the middle of this. And the first three chapters are the sit section. All right, so the f- whole first half of the letter, Paul basically says, Take a seat, listen up. Beginning in chapter one, he paints this cosmic portrait of who we are in Christ chosen, loved, redeemed, forgiven, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? There it comes. I get so excited. In a spiritual sense, he says, we have died with Christ. We have been raised to new life, and now we are seated with him in heavenly places. In the whole first three chapters of Ephesians, there's only one imperative verb. And I'm a big old nerd, so that's a grammar. Basically, that means there's only one verb where he's saying, you need to do this. There's only one command, right? And we're going to see it in our section tonight but it's a little maddening, right? We kinda want him to tell us what to do. We wanna find a to-do list, we wanna get up and go, We we wanna walk and we wanna stand and we wanna do the thing, we wanna earn our keep and check the boxes. But Paul says, no, not yet, sit down. He won't give it to us until he reminds us that we are seated in this glorious truth, Jesus has said, "It is finished. The to-do list of earning salvation, the to-do list is to done. It is done. And that's the first half of Ephesians, is that's the doctrine set to music. To use a really churchy word, this first half is orthodoxy. All right? So ortho," it just means. Uh, right or correct. So you think about like an orthopedic surgeon wants to make sure your bones are set properly, right? They're all straight as they should be. And so orthodoxy just means correct teaching or correct doctrine. And then the second half of the letter, chapters four through six, are orthopraxy. This is the walk and the stand section. It means orthopraxy means right practice or correct behavior. Right? So in the first three chapters, Paul explains the identity of the Christian in doctrinal terms. But then, in the last three, he calls them to live in light of that doctrine. Right? To live it out. Behavior follows belief. We are not saved by good works, but for them. And he covered that last week. We do not walk in obedience to earn his favor, but we walk in obedience from his favor, empowered by it. In fact. So last week, Andy taught on the first half of Ephesians 2. And in this section, Paul essentially says, this is who you are without Christ. Dead. He talked about zombies, I think. I had it on in the house. I was home with my kids. And, I, and he was talking about zombies, basically driven and ruled by our own destructive desires under the reign of spiritual forces that work in opposition to God and opposition to us and our own flourishing That's who we are without Christ. And then it says, this is who you are because of what Christ has done. Saved by grace, made alive, raised to new life, restored to the purpose God made you for. And right in the middle of those two things, who you are without Christ and who you are because of what Christ has done is a great big but. You can laugh, it's supposed to be funny. (laughs) Great big but. Right in the middle it says, but because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It's by grace you've been saved. And it says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us in heavenly places. So we're going into the second section of Ephesians 2. If you have your Bibles or you wanna open your phone, I'll be in the NIV. So if you wanna choose that on your app or whatever. um, We'll be in Ephesians 2 starting verse 11, going through the end of the chapter, verse 22. But Paul repeats the same exact pattern. He does exactly what he did in the first half of the chapter. All right, so to summarize it, he says, this is who you are without Christ. But this time, he says, you're separated, excluded, far away from God and the family of God, far away, in fact, from any hope of salvation. And then it says, and this is who you are because of what Christ has done You are brought near. You are at peace with God and people. You are unified, built up, members of a family and a nation. And in the middle, there's a great big butt. Same structure. This symmetry should signal something to us. That there's two distinct purposes of the gospel. We can't miss either one. And I think that our... Our inclination is to raise one up above the other, but Paul has, he has structured them the same. He has given them equal, perform, equal sort of billing, like they're, they're both structured exactly the same. And so to miss one of these purposes to, is to underestimate the power of the cross and to embrace an incomplete gospel. The first section describes how the gospel of Christ transforms us on a personal level, but the second focuses on a corporate, familial transformation, an identity shift, not only in who I am because of Christ, but who we are now because of Christ. This is one of the central themes of Ephesians and the entire New Testament, the unity of the family of God. In John Stott's commentary on Ephesians, he writes, Nobody can emerge from a careful reading of Paul's letter to the Ephesians with a privatized gospel, with a privatized gospel, for Ephesians is the gospel of the church. Tony Evans expands on that. Um, Dr. Evans writes in his commentary, central to the message of the Ephesians is the recreation of the human family according to God's original kingdom intention for humanity. For those who trust in Jesus, no more hindrance remains to reuniting humanity as the people of God to serve together in unity. We cannot privatize the gospel. If you have made the gospel just about your own life, then you're missing out on the power of the cross of Jesus. You are literally starving it of its power and what God intended when Christ came to not only save us, make us alive again, but to bring us near both to himself and to one another in a startling new kind of community. All right, so full disclosure, this passage is really dense, it's really rich. It's very churchy and bible and some of the words that it uses And so, because some of these concepts may not be overly familiar, I think one of the reasons maybe this part of Ephesians 2 might be de-emphasized is because we just don't understand what it's saying because it's got some weird stuff in it. So, before we start reading our passage, I just want to define some terms. First of all, Gentiles, all right? Gentile believers are addressed directly in this passage. Gentile is... You know, it's kind of a shorthand used for non-Jew, right? That's kind of how we think of it. When we see it, it just means anyone who's not a Jew. Um, But that's not what the original language actually means. The Greek isn't like a negative. It's not not Greek for not a Jew. It's actually ethnos. 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 And it means what you think it means. It means ethnic groups. Ethnos. Peoples. Nations. Right? So it was used, Gentiles was used as a shorthand because really all Gentiles means is nations. But it sort of morphed basically to mean non-Jew. So it's the same exact word that we would see like when Jesus gives the Great Commission and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all ethnos, all nations, all peoples, all Gentiles. That would have been scandalous to Jews at this time. Make disciples of the gentiles right because this is a huge this is a huge division at this time this division between Jew and Gentile and part of that was another word we'll find in this passage circumcision yes we're going there circumcision when Paul mentions circumcision he's not just talking about kind of an awkward conversation about a surgery that babies get he's highlighting this cultural and religious distinction of the Jewish people, something that set them apart, but it's also a mark of a covenant between God and the descendants of Abraham. All right, so this is a distinctive of who they are. This is an identifying mark, it's an outward sign of an inward reality, or at least it's supposed to be, of those who belong to God, of those people of God whose heart is tender and open toward him all through the Old Testament and the New, you'll see God desiring a people who have a circumcised heart. And so circumcision is an outward sign of the special promise of God to his people. And so it was a matter of pride to the Jewish people. We are the circumcision. We are the descendants of Abraham. We are the people of this covenant, of the special promise of God. And the promise was that he would make Abraham a father of many nations, many ethnos. And that through him, all the nations, all the ethnos, all the ethnic groups of the world would be blessed. That's straight from Genesis chapter 12. And and in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it uses that word ethnos. All right, so also in this passage, the law. This is another covenant thing, another covenant between God and his people. Um, This is, think Ten Commandments, right? Think the sacrificial system. This is all wrapped up in the law. And this one is not an unconditional covenant like God's promise through Abraham. This one has a condition that you have to keep the law. You are my people and choose between life and death. Choose. I lay before you life and death, Moses said. Right? Either choose choose to be God's people, and he will will cover you, he will protect you, he will take you into the land, he will prosper you, or choose death. And not only will that blessing be removed, but there's a curse of the covenant, and it comes between the people of God and the ethnos, the nations. God used the nations around Israel, to bring about his purposes when they would not turn to him, when they refused, when they rebelled. If you look through Old Testament history, you'll see again and again God's prophets coming and asking them to return and them refusing, and finally the nations came in and conquered them, scattered them, took them to exile. And so when we hear these Gentiles, circumcision covenants, the law, like that is the history that Paul is drawing on when he's writing to the Ephesians. All right, so let's get to the scripts. I know that took a while, thank you for being patient with my runway. All right, okay. So starting in Ephesians chapter two, starting verse 11, therefore, remember, that's our verb, that's our verb, our one instruction of what we are to do. Therefore, remember, This Greek word means to call to mind, to be mindful of, to hold in memory, to rehearse, and it's linked with action. It's the same word that Paul uses when he tells um, another church to remember the poor. He wasn't just saying, hey, remember there's poor people. All right. That's it. That's all I had to say. No, he means remember the poor and do something about it. Right? Share what you have. Take care of them. Reach out in compassion and love. Right? So this is... Something we remember and then we do something with it as a result, all right? So, therefore, remember that formerly, you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, all right, this is again, this is apart from Christ. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That sounds great, yay. Excluded, remember that you were excluded. Remember that you were left out. I don't like remembering when I was left out. I don't like remembering times I felt excluded, right? I know that because I've told you already that I'm a crybaby and a know-it-all, you assume I was very popular growing up. It's not true, fortunately was not everyone's favorite person. Um, So I I experienced a good bit of being excluded, being apart, not feeling like I was part of the, the group, I wasn't special, I was rejected. And it hurt, right? And I always thought, okay, well, when I get out of elementary school, things will be better. Like middle school is ever better than anything. So then I get to high school, right, and I kind of expand what I do. So, so I'm, I'm in the swim team. Never quite feel like I fit there. I'm not a great athlete. I just, you know, did the swim team. Did that for a while. I did um, musical theater. The good thing about living in a small town is, you don't have a whole lot of, you don't have to have a whole lot of talent to do a lot of different things. So I did musical theater for a while. You know, it wasn't the most talented there. Wasn't the most special there. I always didn't quite feel like I was enough of a thespian. Um, I was on the academic bowl team, another cool point for me. <laughs> you know, and then I was a church girl too, and so that kind of made me feel I always just felt different, right? People would stop talking about whatever gossip it was when I came around because well, there's Goody Two Shoes Taylor over there. Oh, I just always felt different and apart, like I wasn't included. I wasn't the favorite of anybody. So I thought, well, college will be better. I'll join a sorority. Everyone will like me. (laughs) And so I joined a sorority, but I was also an art major, so those two things go together really well, right? So it was a little too artsy for the sorority girls and way too sorority girl for the artsy people. Just never felt like I fit. So I don't like to remember the times that I felt left out, the times that I was excluded, the times that I wasn't part of the inner circle. So why does Paul tell us to remember that? It's because of the big old butt. That's why, right? He says, remember, you weren't excluded. I was talking about all the promises and the covenant and everything. Well, the Gentiles, the nations, they weren't part of that. They were not in. They were not of the circumcision. They were uncircumcised. They weren't part of that. They were left out. They were excluded. And if the truth is, if Jesus was just a Jewish messiah, and they were without hope, because they weren't Jewish. If God was just the God of Abraham, out of luck. You're not a descendant of Abraham. Right? They were completely apart. They were shut out. They were a non-participant in the covenants. The promises of God's special care and the provision that came to the covenants didn't belong to the Gentiles. Because... they weren't, but here in Ephesians, we glimpse the heart of God, and that is to draw all people unto himself, that no one would be excluded from the family of God. No one would be excluded from his promises, that by his grace through faith, we could all participate and be full members of his family, right? And the part of the reason Paul is coming up against this is because there were Jews and they were Christian Jews and they said, well, fine, yes, you can become, you can believe in Jesus as your Messiah. He's the Jewish Messiah, so you need to be Jewish. So I'm sorry that you're 40, but you need to go have a circumcision. And you need to keep the Sabbath and you need to stop eating bacon and you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do the other. And so they would exclude even when they said, yes, okay, you can be part of it, but you're always gonna kind of be second tier because we remember that you didn't always have that circumcision. The heart of God is not to exclude, but to include. All right, so I didn't say my first point that I just expanded upon. Sorry about that. It's this. I'll say it twice. Apart from, apart from Christ... We are separated from God and others. Apart from Christ, we are separated from God and others. And according to Ephesians, we are without hope, without God. Because if Jesus is just the Jewish Messiah, then if you're not Jewish, you're out of luck. All right? So moving on, what's the big old but? But now. This is verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. That means wholeness. That doesn't just mean lack of conflict, that means the presence of healing and all things being made right. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body, in his body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So he reconciles us to God, but also joins us together. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and you who were near. All right, so think about this. You who are far away the Gentiles, apart from the covenant. But the Jews weren't much better. Honestly, they might have been near, but they weren't near enough. Let me explain. Talking about this dividing wall, there was a physical dividing wall, actually several, in the, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. right? The, the temple at the time of Paul and Jesus was called Herod's temple because he renovated it. He came and did like fixer-upper so it was up on this huge temple mount on the temple and the very middle of it was the sanctuary and the surrounding the sanctuary there were different courts and there were all these rules about who could go in what court, who was allowed where, all right? So the priests could go in some places that others could not. The high priest could go all the way in but once a year to the holiest place but not the, all of the priests could do that. And then there were the Jewish men, and they couldn't go in the priestly court, but they could go to sort of the next best thing, but no women. And then the women had their own court, thank you, they had their own court. This was all divided. And then way down, not on the same level as the Jews, but down levels and surrounded by a big five-foot wall was the court of the Gentiles, and it had signs on the wall that literally said, cross this line over your own dead body. It's basically like you're taking your life into your hands if you cross this line. The dividing wall of hostility, right? That is a hostile wall. Christ in his body put to death the hostility. He broke down the barrier Right? Think about Jesus when he drove the money changers out. Do you know where they were? They were in the court of the Gentiles. He said, "This my house is a house of prayer for all nations, ethnos. So a very real dividing wall Paul had in mind when he said this. But here's the thing, like, Even though it says that Christ has destroyed this division, this wall, we kind of like walls. Like, people just, we just like walls. I mean, there's a whole book series on boundaries, right? Some boundaries, we we need those. All right, sorry. Um, But unnecessary walls, right? We love walls because we like ourselves and we like the way we think. And we like the way, you know, our taste in music. We like our theology. We we want to separate all the difference and the different things, and and we want to scatter them across town and cities so that each group worships on its own. I'm quoting from a book by Scott McKnight called Fellowship of Difference. We want to have churches for men that aren't really for women, and we want to have churches for the wealthy that aren't really for anybody else, and churches for the middle class, and churches for the poor, churches for white people, churches for Mexican-Americans and for African-Americans and Asian-Americans and Indian-Americans, churches for liberals, churches for conservatives, churches for fundamentalists, churches for those who follow Calvin, or Wesley, or Luther, or Keller, or Chandler, or Driscoll, or Piper, or more. And Sunday morning becomes an exercise in cultural and spiritual segregation. Because we built walls. We like walls. And this has a colossally important impact on the Christian life. Like I said before, it misses half the gospel if we divide ourselves up so that everyone around us agrees with us about everything. That's not unity. That's uniformity. And we, we form this sort of church of human uniformity where everyone's afraid to say anything that might step outside whatever the party line is, that they'll be rejected, that they'll be excluded, that they won't fit, that they won't have a place in the family anymore. And that's not unity. That's not what Chris did on the cross. Right, that's, you know, drawing a line in the sand where god in christ has destroyed a wall if if jesus overcame the hostility between jews and gentiles then there's no wall of division that the great barrier breaker cannot overcome all right so in christ this is my second point we are brought near and made one All right, so even the the Jews were outside of the covenant on the other side of the wall, or the Gentiles outside of the covenant on the other side of the wall. The Jews, they had their own walls. There was a holy of holies that they couldn't all enter, right? Pay attention to this last verse in this section. Verse 18. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and you who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That means... We're not just real close, but not quite, and we're not way far and excluded. We're in the presence of God. We get to go all the way in. We have confident access through faith to, to the throne room of God. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places. This is the gospel of Jesus. And if we think it's just about our own personal salvation, then we're missing, we're missing a huge part of it. We, we can't, don't miss it. It's bigger. The gospel is bigger and more beautiful than we can even imagine. All right, so we're going to move on to our next section. Just picking up in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. All right, so we're in our second section. We've passed the big but. Here's what happens as a, as a result. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, members of his family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple to the Lord. Am I right? The holy temple. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right, so being at the temple of the Holy Spirit isn't just about my heart being a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's also this spiritual building, a fellowship of difference, of diversity. Tony Evans wrote, the reason we have racial, ethnic, gender, and class divisions in the church is because we have not fully or properly understood the cross. Christians divided along illegitimate lines don't see themselves as part of one new humanity. All barriers based on factors such as race or gender are obliterated by the cross. This doesn't mean that distinctions don't exist, but that in terms of spiritual development, a white man has no advantage over a black man, and a man has no spiritual advantage over a woman. Diversity is not an implication of the gospel. It is not a trickle-down effect. It is the very heart of it. Two becoming one. Unity, not uniformity. Equal access to God in one spirit. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. This isn't some new thing that Paul came up with. It's been God's plan from the absolute beginning. If you flip over to chapter three, Paul starts talking about a mystery. And I remember the first time reading this, I was like, there's a mystery. What is it? And I got so excited. You know what the mystery is? Well, we just read Jews and Gentiles together. That's it. That's the mystery. That's what has been hidden in God through the ages and was revealed in Christ. That we will become one. That Jesus is not just the Jewish Messiah. He is the king of the nations. That is his title in Revelation. He's called the Lamb of God and the king of the nations. There are prophecies about him where it says he will be a light to the Gentiles. That has been God's plan from the beginning. You see it in that covenant between God and Abraham that that the Jews were to be, they were to be a blessing to the Gentiles. That Abraham would become a father of many nations. And if you wanna read Romans four and five, you'll see that we're children of Abraham too, by faith. Diversity is not an implication of the gospel. It's the very heart of the gospel. My third, or my third point is that through Christ, the plan for God's family is made known. The plan for God's family is made known. The mystery, everybody's included, everyone's invited, everybody. And if you are resistant to that, then you may not like heaven, spoiler alert. The revelation of John of the throne room of heaven is that There will be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And he didn't have to say every nation. How would he know every nation unless he could hear them speaking different languages and see that they looked different physically, the different attributes, different skin colors? Every tribe, nation, people and language distinct before the throne, wearing white robes because they were clothed in unity with the purity of Christ. He is the king of the nations, Jesus. So what? So what? So what do we do with this expanded view of the gospel that it's not only about being made alive, those who are dead, and that miraculous salvation that is so personal and so vital, don't hear me diminish the power of a personal relationship with Jesus. Do not hear me diminish that. I told you about how left out I felt as a child. Do you know who my best friend was? Sorry, it was Jesus. The first time I remember praying personal prayers was when I was alone on the playground in elementary school. I mean, good gracious. He was there with me. So do not hear me say that a personal relationship with Jesus is somehow diminished by this corporate family of God that is part of the gospel. They are both absolutely vital, absolutely precious and important. Absolutely central. So what? We need to remember. That's the work of the sitting portion of Ephesians. Remember. Number one, remember who you were. Remember the times you felt excluded, the times you felt different, the times you felt not good enough, the times someone drew a line and you were on the wrong side of it. Remember so that that big old butt means something to you. To the praise and glory of Jesus. So remember who you were. Number two, remember who we are as the family of God. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced inclusion in Christ? And if you haven't, if you experienced dividing walls in a place where there's not supposed to be because Christ in his body destroyed the wall of hostility, then you have to ask yourself, is this really his house? There's no walls in his house. Peter wrote this. Peter was a Jew. He wrote this to Gentiles. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness to the marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So remember who you were and remember who you are now. You are a people, you are included. And walking that out is not easy, and we'll get into it in the walk section in Ephesians four and five. And the third, or so what, you need to remember who they may become. And what I mean by that is who is your they? Who is the they that you have drawn a line to keep out, to exclude? who are we to divide what Christ has brought together? We were once dead and now we're alive. We were once far off and now we've been brought near. It is by grace, through faith, that you were saved, not by any merit of your own. So who are you to say someone else is not good enough for the family of God? Who are you to say that? Are you building walls that Christ himself has destroyed in his body? In his letter to the church at Corinth, Corinth was a really, whacked out place by the way all kinds of crazy stuff happening all kinds of darkness occult practices all kinds of crazy sexual immorality so in his letter to Corinth the Apostle Paul lists off all these sins all these things that sort of um, demonstrate a life that has not been surrendered to Christ And then he says this, he lists them all, all the bad ones. I'm sure there's somebody on that list that I would say, not them, right? You might say, not them. But here's what he says, such were some of you. The worst sins you can imagine. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Remember who you were. And then remember... Who they may become jesus said to love one another as he's loved us undeservedly unreservedly right paul says forgive one another as christ has forgiven you bear with one another and later in ephesians it's going to talk about this be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another, keeping, making every effort to preserve the bond of peace, the unity. And he also says this, accept one another then as Christ accepted you in order to bring glory to God. God's purpose always has been, always will be, to draw all people to himself. And who are we to draw a line? where Christ has broken down a wall. Lord Jesus, great barrier breaker, I thank you for the beauty of the gospel. I thank you for the love that Paul prays that that we would even need supernatural strength to even comprehend. Open the eyes of our hearts to see where we may have drawn a line Or where we have maybe excluded someone. Or draw us near to yourself. Maybe we've excluded ourselves. Said, I'm not good enough. It's not about us being good enough, Jesus. You are enough. You are good and holy and you love us with a lavish love. May we sit in that now. In your holy name, I pray.